0: Welcome to Climate Papa, a show about climate change, technology, and parenthood. And today you're going to hear from my mom, Julie. <laughs> Welcome to Climate Papa. I'm Ben Eilson. I'm based in Seattle, and I invest in product-led climate companies. And I'm a papa to two kids, a five-year-old girl and a two-year-old boy. And I'm now joined by Asa's mom, Julia. Hi, Julia.
1: Hi, Ben. Thanks for having me.
0: What are your kids' ages names, and what are you doing when you're not on podcasts?
1: I'm Julia, and my kids are Asa, who's seven, who you've been talking to, and I also have a three-year-old daughter. I'm a therapist. I see individual adults who are dealing with life in all sorts of ways. I'm a recovering tech startup person. I spent the first 10 years of my career as a product manager and then doing marketing for startups and then went back to school, became a therapist, and I'm in private practice here in Seattle.
0: This is the point where I asked Julia what's new with her kids, and we decided we need to redo that section.
1: Welcome to Take Two.
0: Take Two. Why are we doing a redo?
1: We're doing a redo because we started off our conversation last time where you would ask me what was going on with my kids. And I told a cute story about one of my kids and it was loosely connected to climate change. And after we recorded it, I thought about it and I talked about it with my kid who the story was about. And it turns out that it wasn't something that we collectively felt really comfortable sharing with a wider audience. And not because it was anything terrible by any means, but because I think it was something that was my story that I thought was cute and funny that my kid found a little embarrassing. And I think it was, you know, it's something that I've been thinking about a lot in general, that we as parents have all of these parts of the parenting journey that are interesting to us and meaningful to us or hard for us or all these different things. But they feel very differently when you're the kid or the person who it's about. And I think, you know, when we think about the advent of first mommy bloggers and now social media and influencers and And now Papa podcasters. Exactly. Now these like nefarious Papa podcasters. They're big followings. (laughs) Exactly. It's big Papa podcasting. It's in some ways like this stuff has done so much for us collectively, right? They've normalized things about ways that parenting can be hard or challenging or. Not always sunshine and roses. But on the other hand, I've just been thinking a lot about whether there are moments that collective gain for parents can sometimes come at the cost of our kids or. Yeah. I think I feel it's clear.
0: I think a lot about it in the context of teaching your kids to respect themselves mm-hmm. and then teaching them that so that they also demand respect from others. And like whether that's for their privacy, their mm-hmm. body, their like emotional state. Totally. Like, because as a parent, if you're not honoring that, then how might they expect the world to honor that? Yeah. So anyways, we got pretty deep there.
1: We did. <laughs> so the story that I told, it gave us an excellent lead-in to this tension between wanting our kids to be activists mm-hmm. and then sometimes being like, oh man, that was inconvenient for me.
0: An activist kid can do amazing things in the world and and an activist child in the household can be can be a challenge. You want kids to grow up into these like, Strong-willed, clear-minded, autonomous adults, independent, and that actually makes like for pretty challenging two and three-year-olds.
1: It reminds me of a T-shirt that I saw that said something like "Stand up to authority, but not your mother." Yes, exactly. and it's it is the perfect balance that you want these kids who are passionate and who will care about the world around them and fight for justice and all of this that like you you work so hard as parents to teach them these values. And then you find yourself caught in this double bind, whether it's stand up to authority, but not to me, that, that doesn't include me, or whether it's mommy, why aren't we stopping and giving money to this homeless person? Or yeah. why don't we have solar panels on our house? They're really hard questions. And it's easy to think about the values that you really want your kids to have. And then what do you do with all of the moments that it points out? the contradictions and the hypocrisy. You're
0: trying to expose them so that they grow and deal with the world, but also you want to protect them because that's your instincts to protect them. And yeah, I was struck in my conversation with Asa that too, I was worried that any part of our conversation would overwhelm him and quite the opposite. I think he enjoys the complexity and and he has a real sense of some of the harms and he's not skirting that, but that is motivating for him, which Mm -hmm. I think depends on the personality of the kid, but he wants to engage with that. And I think there is another thing that you're talking about, though, that is worth examining, which is like, when our kids learn these things and they're right to point out the things that maybe we need to work on, how do we digest that? And I think as our generation and the generations above us reckon with we're in the positions to make these choices, how should our kids' direct responses or just implicit existence, the fact that they're there, change some of the things we would be doing otherwise?
1: No, it's true. And I think think you talked about this in a previous episode, like the ways the responsibility that it puts on you to have a good answer to your kids' questions. And I think it it does put a lot of pressure on us as parents to be able to justify our decisions. And one that has come up with Asa a lot recently is he goes to a school that's like fairly far away from our house. And we really love his school. And it feels in so many ways like it's the right place for him. We drive to school. The other day he was asking me, there's a light rail stop that's about a mile away from his school. And there's a light rail stop that's probably about a mile away from our house. And he was like, okay, mommy, to take care of the earth, we really should be walking or biking to school, not driving to school. And I was like, absolutely, yes, the world should do that, just not us. He was like, okay, maybe one day I could take the light rail to school. And I was like, that'd be great. Okay, how long would you have to leave before? Well, you'd have to, maybe we could drop you off at the light rail station when you're like also, you know, significantly older, (laughs) older enough to navigate a big city by yourself. And then you get off the light rail and you have to walk 20 minutes to school and realizing how we have made choices that make it hard to live out that particular ideal and the ideals in a lot of ways. We do all sorts of things that are not ideal from a climate perspective, whether that's driving our kids to school or taking yeah. lots of flights or buying them matching pajamas that they don't need, but bring us lots of joy yeah. and uh, and yet wanting to be able to justify the decisions, wanting to be able to say, okay, that we're not focusing there, but this is where we are focusing, right. and trying to figure out how to have those conversations within the precursor to having those conversations is having an internal clarity about it. And I yeah. think that part is really challenging. Most uncomfortable, maybe. So uncomfortable. and But also, I think it's important, right? It forces us into building a clarity that I think pre-kids... You can go about saying, Oh yes, climate's very important to me <laughs> without really being pushed to to engage in those questions with yourself and it up internally. So I think it's I think it's really useful.
0: I think this is a topic that I sense I'm gonna spend a lot of time on with folks through the through the weeks to come because I think that a lot of people, and especially people with kids, are wrestling with you've simultaneously entered a world of two things. One, you have this really explicit At least I feel like protectionistic instinct around what the world's going to be like in a longer time horizon because you have kids and you simultaneously have the greatest need for convenience (laughs) and comfort and Amazon packages and all the things because life is like hard and chaotic just even in the easiest of circumstances. And uh, I think that's a really interesting tension to explore across like many different things from the school choices to where we live and how we live. And I think... Also, too much of the consumer psychology around climate is this individual guilt-based yep. conversation. And I think that, to me, I think there's a lens maybe of taking what is our individual values, but then marrying them with increased clarity around the systems we live in. Yep. like We live in a car-based city where, yes, the, there is public transit, but it is a mile away, as you said, from all those things. Like if you were in New York, it'd be a different conversation. And So that's part of the like literal infrastructure system, but also then there's a social system like, okay, we're in a car-based city and there's not the road infrastructure, but could there be more cultural infrastructure where all of a sudden the schools are really trying to push people to carpool or figure out a way to reduce this because it's a conversation the kids are having. So I think there is these interesting ways in which we tend to, I think it's a very like American culture to be like, oh, if this is a problem, I got to fix it for myself and no one's going to do it with me or for me and actually think. The places to admire are places where the opposite has happened, yeah people have said, "Oh, I'm experiencing this, and I want us to live in a different society, and we need to change the system in order to make this personal ideal
1: easy to live through. I think it's a really good point, and it's actually it's something that when my husband Mark and I talk a lot we he's very good at reminding me about that I can get very granular mm-hmm. very into this idea of exactly what we personally can need do. to yep. be doing, and he will really remind me. It's not that we don't have personal responsibility, but also I think it is this tension between saying our actions matter and they do matter and they're also really tiny. And so what are the things on a magnitude of scale?
0: They matter most if they can aggregate in some way. The things at a system level are also things where there's a little bit more like nefarious interests and kind of people feeling like they can't control those things. I've been thinking about the difference between personal infrastructure decisions and behavioral decisions. Mm -hmm. And so the personal infrastructure changes are the ones that you do a project once, and that's now going to impact the rest of your life or the rest of your your home's life, right? And so if you you transition to an electric vehicle, if you put solar on your roof, if you go from a gas furnace to a heat pump, every time you heat your house, and anyone who moves into your house in the future now is experiencing electrified heating, and that has this kind of compounding impact, That you're not thinking about, it's not a new decision each day, right? Right. Choosing what to order at a restaurant or choosing whether or not to turn the light switch off or throw away something like, those are all good things to Mm -hmm. do, but they are not infrastructure in the same way, a personal infrastructure. And I think that both are important, but I think we tend to fully focus the conversation on behavior. Again, this like shame-based, guilt-based thing versus things that we can actually do. And then like our life is just in a better default state. I actually think finances are an under discussed one that I'm exploring more around, which is where we invest our money or even our mm-hmm. checking accounts. And is that funding fossil fuel projects right. versus renewables projects? And like people underappreciate the dramatic impact that can have.
1: Right. No, it's so interesting to think about it as far as personal infrastructure. I think it reminds me of how you need to think about these concentric le- circles of community. Mm. And Mark and I talk about this a lot too. How do we make the decisions that's right for our family? Then how do we make it that's right for our community, I don't know, here in Seattle, then in the state and then in the country and in the world and things like that. And you can't, you get in trouble if you only focus on that innermost circle.
0: Or the outermost. And, or the outermost. Yeah, because then you right. don't have your own actual kind of personal center.
1: And it's unrealistic to say that we're not going to in some ways prioritize that innermost circle. And the outermost circle is important too. And I was having a conversation with Asa about this when the past, a little over a year or so, we've been doing a new allowance system where he has these three jars and ones for spend, ones for save and ones for give. And he gets the amount of money for his, uh, how old he is. And I stole this entire idea from a book called The Opposite of Spoiled that was useful in helping think through like how we wanted to think about allowance. And So he has to split up his allowance every week into spend, save, and give. And I think the first time, he really wanted to donate to what he was really into. And at that point, he was in a big dinosaur phase, Mm -hmm. and he wanted to donate to a local museum that did stuff about dinosaurs and research about dinosaurs. As we've done it more and more, and as he's gotten older, it's been so interesting to talk to him about, okay, what are the things that you care about in the world? And where do you want to put your money? And then what do you want that money to do? And I think it's talking with him about the granular versus the system. I mean, he's had all sorts of ideas, things about the war in Ukraine, things about homelessness in the city, and then talking about, okay, do you give your money to the person who lives in the bus shelter by our house mm-hmm. who we know and we talk to and we see and he's, part, he's a member of our neighborhood? Or do we give it to a broader organization that's doing things more mm-hmm. systemically? So this past cycle... He wanted to do something about climate change and talking a lot about, I asked him, okay, where? what are the things that you would want to put money towards? What do you think, how do you want your money to make a difference? Mm -hmm. It's a lot of abstraction for a seven-year-old. We started to think about, and we texted you and said, what are some organizations? And he ultimately chose Rewiring America. I think part of that decision was about electric power versus fossil fuel power. But I think it was also about wanting to donate to something that was going to change laws I think that there was something really exciting about this idea of being able to impact policy exactly wow. impact this like systemic things the idea yeah. that like this could go towards making laws that can impact this for lots of people yeah. and we watched a video on their website on Rewire in America yeah right? and it's uh, seven cool, it's a group, cool organization it's a great organization yeah. and there is a video with a play button. And I don't know about your kids, but my kids are very attracted to anything yeah. that looks like a video with a play button. So he's like, Mommy, let's like watch this. Yeah. And we're watching it. And it was kids, right? It was kids talking about Amazing. laws could help their schools save more power and use less fossil fuel yeah. and be more use more electric energy. And I think that was like really cool and exciting and inspiring for him.
0: I'm excited for him to return back to school once this is out there. I wouldn't be surprised if the school's already – working through a lot of these things, but there's always more, and I think always more that schools need to do as hopefully leading institutions to to set an example of what we can do.
1: The final project of the kindergarten year at his school is the March for Change, and they all go around doing a march, and they make signs, and I think it's a lot about how, like, you can be a voice for change in the world. And the signs were so incredible. So we're watching these kindergartners march with protest signs, That they've made like in the block around the school. My personal favorite was actually one kid's that said, "Save some trees." (laughs) It was so attainable, just like a couple. Save some trees. Save some trees. Yeah. And it was fun to see these kids like learning how to use their voice in ways both very broad and also very tactical, like just some some trees, (laughs) some trees.
0: To transition from kids' voices to your voice, I want to turn to how have you seen the intersection between therapy and climate change.
1: You know, I think it comes up in a lot of different ways. I think some are more tactical and sort of event-based. And then there are other ways where climate really pushes on some of these very universal underlying conflicts that most of us have about the person we want to be and maybe some of the ways that we feel inside. There might be a part of me that does want everything for myself and doesn't care about any of these broad things. And I want what I want when I want it, and that's so human. But then I want to be this good person who's thoughtful and cares about the
0: world. And, so- and even that wanting to be a good person, that's thoughtful and cares about the world, is not an individual one. I think it's in, in context Absolutely. as well. So it's, it's, yes, I want that, and I want to be seen as that, which 100%. Is, which goes back to a more basic desire, which is to be accepted and part of the tribe of yep. your choosing and. Let's go directly into this. I spent a lot of time in my therapy Mm -hmm. over the last two years as I transitioned out of my role at Stripe into working on climate tech, wrestling with this, wrestling with climate anxiety on one hand and how that relates to having kids and then into what I think I need to do with my career.
1: Yeah, I think it often comes up in a couple different ways. Sometimes it's really tactical. I remember, I guess probably almost three years ago at this point, it was the first kind of COVID summer. Oh, yeah. And everybody had started to take a little bit of a sigh of relief cases were down a little bit. We could be you outside. you could be outside at a
0: restaurant outside, maybe. Exactly. Or just on like, a walk or seeing some friends outside.
1: Right. Like it was like, okay, we can like, we can see people as long as we're outdoors and distanced until this one week in August, and we were just, the whole region was completely smothered by smoke. Yep. And people were coming in just so depressed all week. This thing that like, we can't be outside, we can't be inside. And all of a sudden, I think really tapping into so much fear and uncertainty about what is happening in this world. And is this how we're going to be living? And I think there are these moments where-
0: You literally- we didn't know how to keep our kids safe in that moment. Right. There's our kids a, safe Yeah, kids there's self- smoother, safe. do there's We go out there and breathe air. We're wearing a 95s for the fire smoker wearing them for COVID. Like Yeah. It's, and yeah.
1: you can't be anywhere. Right. And it's, I think it's these moments of a visceral realization of these realities that we work so hard to keep. And push down so we can
0: function. Exactly.
1: Yeah. Like that there's, I like to talk a lot about and think about this idea of healthy denial and unhealthy denial. Right. Mm-hmm. That like, we need some degree of denial to go about our daily yeah. lives. If we think about the, All the crushing risks. realities, yeah. Yeah. Y- you never get out of bed, right. much less take, have kids or send your kids anywhere. And then we have these moments where that like C- protective d- denial, popped, yeah. exactly, the bubble gets punctured. Yeah. And I think that week of smoke was one that I've really thought about, mm. where it was like the collectively... We were really feeling it. And I think we have these moments, right, whether it's Hurricane Katrina or it's freezing over. the Texas freezing yeah. over, the air cut stuff like that, it sinks in a yeah. way that's terrifying.
0: When that happened, did you see a pattern? Obviously, there's a pattern of fear and anxiety and just like coping with that. Mm-hmm. But then did any of that translate to action or kind of like where to go from there with that in any potential, I don't want to say productive because the feelings are productive. <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> but sometimes feelings are productive. But yeah, in terms of shifting those people's approach or value systems around this.
1: I think this is where it gets really tricky, right? And this is something I see in my practice and very much see in myself. Like, first of all, we all deal with anxiety in different ways. A question that I get so much when we're talking about these kind of like broader internal conflicts or issues in therapy is people will ask, how do I fix it? Yeah. And with some people I work with, it can become like a little bit of a joke where can say hey anxiety it's see you popping up right there because there are some things we can fix and then there are some things that we can't and I think that the tension and the tension that is so hard is how do we keep enough of our denial up so that we can function and so that we don't get lost in the what ifs the what ifs while also not having so much denial up that we Say it's fine, it's never gonna impact. Ignore me. the biggest like, problems, yeah. yeah. I don't have to deal with this. I think
0: it's exactly the kind of careful line to to walk. I think about like the media I consume to stay in that balance. It's, there's foundational books like the uninhabitable mm-hmm. earth. That's it's what it says it is. It's about like the the path we're on and being very clear eyed about how bad this could be for the human way of life. And it's important to I think balance that with kind of action plans, so like yeah. speed and scale, or it's kind of how to save a planet, like ways to be like, okay, what can I do? To balance all of that with going back to your concentric circles. Oh, I also just need to make sure I spend the weekend like with my family, enjoying being right. present with that and not thinking about 30 years from now, but like doing only one of those is mm-hmm. problematic. In balance, can you can we create these kind of rhythms around us that make sure we don't swing? too far in any one direction.
1: Yeah. It's funny that you talk about, I was thinking about talking about personal infrastructure and how do we create that. And a lot of times in my work, I talk about or think about this idea of how do we build ourselves scaffolding? How do we build or how do we grow our own internal parent or something like that? How do we build something that catches us? And again, I can find myself sometimes when I get upset about climate thinking, I can think about, okay, like at least least it's not going to, the disaster won't, it's not going to affect my kids. And then I can think, oh God, but then what if it affects their kids? And then they'd be in so much pain about their kids. I think maybe it's not their kids. Maybe it's their kids' kids. And then it's not going to be my children's grandchildren. and They're going to love them so much. And then yeah. what if it's their kids? And, it's, and I can get stuck in this loop of wanting to tell myself it's okay. And wanting to convince myself not to panic, which is so important, right? Because yeah. we can't get anywhere. On the other hand, if I go, you don't want to lose engagement with it. No, and you don't want to lose the fact that it does matter, yeah. and whether it's my kids or their kids or like anywhere down the. That's yeah, not you the, care
0: about people you've never met
1: very much. That's not the world we want to leave to them. No, and so it's like, how do we have what maybe I would call internal scaffolding?
0: Mm-hmm. It's a good phrase for it.
1: Yeah, to pull ourselves back and keep ourselves in bounds, and I think it's such it's it's fun to think about that in terms of then the personal like it, I think it's actually tied to this idea of personal infrastructure not only in these metaphors of building, but then if we have this internal scaffolding that keeps our emotional and our psychological structured, cared for, protected, mm. not falling apart right. or seeping through boundaries, how do we also do that in a tactical way in our daily life where it's like, we've built some guardrails?
0: Yeah. And I think it's it's so important because time is really an issue here. I think that we're humans, we work on a certain time scale. There's mm-hmm. certain organisms that survive for hours. They work on a different time scale and there's certain the mountains are happen over millennia and that's a right. different time scale. But we work on a human physical and yeah. time scale. And that makes us I think that makes the whole kind of wrapping our heads around climate change, which is happening more in a decade timescale, quite hard for us mm-hmm. to think about it proactively. Yeah. And I think we tend to just be a very reactive species, right? Like right. I think all species are reactive. Mm-hmm. I think animals are just reactive creatures. And for hungry, we we'll go get food. Maybe some do some things for the year ahead, but it's very new to think about something decades ahead, right? It's actually very much enabled, I think, by new stories that we can tell ourselves and science and things that were not naturally baked into our yeah. psychology. And I think that's deeply problematic in the case of climate change because it really is not until these moments where we have a thing to react to—a day when we cannot breathe air outside. Orange Day in San Francisco was a mm. big turning point for a lot of people in the tech sector. In Texas, with our, like, we have to work in reaction. And then that reaction decays after those events, even when the impacts certainly are not. And I think there's an interesting, when COVID first hit and watching the pandemic unfold, there was a similar kind of way to study how much it worked in reaction. And, and despite that whole experience, supposedly, and I haven't gone deep on this, governments are not doing everything they should do to proactively monitor for the next pandemic totally. because we're so reactive. My hope is that we can collectively on climate have a more steady drumbeat that just gets louder and louder to act. And we build that scaffolding up for everyone around it. So obviously, the, the typical media wants to do things that drive more intense reaction. And there's other spaces that want to just not engage at all. And I think my hope, and maybe this podcast is an example of that, is I want to do a combination of all of it. I yeah. want to center it on on the personal yeah. and what centers us, which I think is at least for both of us, like our families are at the center of that. And then work out from there to these things that, you know, yes, are our climate anxiety and fears, but also like where we can play a part yeah. and what we can do about it. I do think in the therapy world, I think there's going to be more and more like training and things about climate anxiety yeah. as like a topic and people grappling with this. I think a lot of people are grappling with the decision of whether or not to have kids yep. based on climate mm-hmm. change, which I think will be an interesting topic to address yep. in, in, in a future conversation. But I think the role of mental health in supporting people's abilities to yes. work on the problem yep. is essential. It's foundational. We can't, we can't work on the problem if we, don't, if we can't eat today. And we can't work on the problem if we're frozen and paralyzed. And so you have to be in a, I think, stability of familial, financial, and emotional gives you the kind of privilege of looking out right. in time.
1: You have to be able to tolerate the problem. Like you, you have to be able to tolerate the realities. You have to be able to pull yourself back. You have to be able to, I don't know, contend with the, I think, inherent psychological conflict in the question of climate change, which is in so many ways, like the lizard brain parts of us, the primal parts of us, are these, you know, like selfish demanding children, and we all have those parts, right? And those parts are in some ways foundational, to being not the, not being the longest term
0: thinking parts.
1: But they're not the longest term thinking parts. And if we're only the longest term thinking parts, then unless
0: I want to get to Issa's lizard brain, because that one seems to be pretty long term thinking.
1: I think he's a great example in a way of dealing with what do you want. For the long term, what do you want in theory? What are those parts of you? And what are the parts of you that just wants to focus on what you're focusing on? And I think that like we we have inherent in being human, these pulls for self and what's mine and what's my family and being protective, what's now, what's instant gratification, Mm -hmm. what's going to make me feel good, what's going to make me get out of feeling bad. We have that then balanced against this sort of more... Mature, grown-up part of ourselves that thinks, "What are my values, and what do I want? To, how do I want to leave yeah. the world, and how do I, I want the to impact my to change, yeah. yeah, and I think that they fight with each other on a regular basis, right? I want, Every moment. I want this Amazon package to arrive at my door, and also I think that all this plastic that it's be like arriving, and like, I wish I was somebody who didn't want that. So we have these in inbol- in this conflict in ways like large and small. And it requires to sort through it. I think the breathing room to build the psychological stability and the psychological maturity to be able to hold both truths. To hold both <laughs> truths exactly. In the world of our buddy Daniel Tiger, you can feel two things at the same time. Yeah, that's okay. But to also be able to to both work beyond that primal part of ourselves that the kind of toddler part of ourselves yeah. and then also to know that that's an important part of ourselves that this probably has something to say and it's probably saying something for a reason and why do we want this and or we should understand that
0: because that's going to understand how other people are feeling like like we have that truth that actually a lot of other people have too yeah and denying that for kind of some sense of maybe false purity is problematic because then you can't actually understand the system and the culture underneath it
1: and it's probably just not going to work that well for you either in the long run so it's like, how do we then grapple with what we've done to our planet? There's a question of collective guilt. There are questions of how do we handle the anxieties that come up? And then, like, how do we move forward? And how do we how do we get out of bed every day and also work towards and what we want and not be subsumed?
0: There's a lot of good news, too. On this front, things are finally starting to tip in terms of good news of cost of solar and people's demand for EV. And if you zoom back, people think the last couple of decades have been these terrible because we experience it through a new cycle. Child mortality has never been lower. Like big fundamental health breakthroughs have happened. And we have a lot of work to do. And this is back to Daniel Tiger. I think one note to end on for anyone listening is I think that starting companies is very hard. Working on climate is very hard. I think that people should prioritize building that scaffolding in whatever way that that works for them. I suggest therapy if people have not tried it. I get a lot from, from the therapy I've had and the friendships and relationships, including my wife with therapists, I think that it is still underappreciated in some circles and, and some generations. I think maybe that's a good note to end the conversation on.
1: Yeah. I think it can also be such a valuable experience in in learning about yourself and in understanding things Better in a way that gives you more agency and control over what, over the decisions that you make, yeah. and, a, and a greater sense of freedom, so that you're not feeling you're not feeling con, sort of Sorry. controlled by things that, that you, outside of your awareness.
0: Any things you've been listening to, uh, reading, watching that, that you want to call out?
1: I think it's funny. I think particularly since becoming a therapist, I find even more of a need to like turn off a little bit, yeah. Yeah. In my leisure time.
0: Yeah, great. What are your leisure time recommendations?
1: Oh, my goodness. Okay. I am watching a lot of Top Chef, Uh which I love and getting very into that. Also, baking shows. Lisa is very into baking and baking shows. We've also enjoyed watching Alone Together, which is Mm. like a fascinating show about people needing to survive in the wilderness with like very few items with them, which has been super interesting with conversations about the land and... How do we survive and what would we do without the technologies that we have?
0: Excellent. Thank you so much. This was such a fun conversation. This is great. Well, that's episode five of Climate Papa. I really enjoyed that very multi-layered conversation with Julia and how deeply it reminded me about the need for my own internal scaffolding to balance the technical work and the work I'm doing here with all of the other rhythms in my life for myself. I simultaneously feel a lot of urgency to work on all of the things and also need to do so in a way that enables me to persist working on these things for decades to come. If you enjoyed this, please share it with others, follow us, and review us in whatever app you're listening in now. And I don't know about you, but I'm ready for the phenomenal Balkan bump to take us out again. Let's do it. On we go like...